Good afternoon. Um, my name is Jez Clark. Uh, we are episode five uh, of Behind the Data podcast. Um, my name's uh, Jez, as I say, CEO of Eden Smith Group, one of the co-founders. I've um, been running these podcasts uh, with the topic of be basically building sustainable data teams um, to, for future fitness is, is, is the topic of discussion. And I'm very, very happy um, that three people have today um, taken their time out their very, very busy days uh, to join me on today's podcast. I've got Jordan Morrow, uh, a very experienced data professional and advisor, strategist, public speaker and coach in the industry. Um, I've got Andrew Jones, who is another seasoned data professional, um, very strong in advanced analytics, data science. Uh, I believe uh, founder of Data Science Infinity, uh, running an education program, which looks absolutely amazing. And a very good friend of mine, Susan Walsh, um, who I think many of the listeners will already know because she's massive on LinkedIn, data professional, uh, known as the classification guru and fixer of dirty data. Data IQ Award winner, famous for many podcasts and lip syncs so all over LinkedIn, and author of Between the Spreadsheets, uh, which I haven't read yet, but uh, I will do at some point. Sorry, Susan. Um, but yeah, <laughs> welcome, welcome to you all. Um, we will be talking about building sustainable data teams as always. Um, I'll have a few select questions, but uh, yeah, welcome guys. How are you? Very um, well, thank you. I'm retired. Well. Got back from the US this morning, so. Yeah, yeah. So my body doesn't really know what time zone it's on right now. But um, whereabouts in the US were you? I was in Orlando. Oh, lovely. And it was like 34, 35 degrees and it was just a wall of heat. It's crazy. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Nice. I just right? come back and just have this kind of nice weather, although it's a bit I've been moaning to complaining to everyone about our summer because it's been awful. <laughs> well, it has and often then it gets too hot and everyone complains about that as well. That's what I yeah. find the problem. But that's uh, unfortunately, that's the Brits. <laughs> that's yeah, the way they, they look at I've things. been uh, trying to warn the Data Avengers as well about the, the glass house that is Kensington Olympia. Yes, it's going to be quite quite warm in there at Big Data London next week. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you some. So, um, yeah, you are you are a group, aren't you? They are the Data Avengers um, and you're going to be joining us at Big Data London, uh, which is brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to meeting many of you. And I know you've got to be very busy uh, while you're there. Um, so that's exciting times. Um, well, look, I'll, I'll, I'm going to um, ask a few questions, obviously, because I think the listeners will be very, very keen uh, to hear your views on on certain aspects of um, building sustainable data teams. And um, let's start with you, Andrew, actually. No, actually, we'll go ladies first, Susan. Um, let's start with you. H how did you get into data um, and what did your career path look like? So I find when I speak to some data people, a lot of us kind of fell into this by accident. That's how we ended up here. And that's definitely my story uh, in my early days I was in sales, telesales, co-calling, um, national account management for retailers and then I did, uh, kind of realised that's not, I didn't enjoy it, that's not really what I wanted to do. I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do so I opened a clothes shop and wow. that didn't work out so well and then I was so broke I couldn't even afford to go bankrupt <laughs> and at that point I needed to like get a job straight anything basically to like, pay my bills and also start saving up to file for bankruptcy so I went uh, and found an ad on Gumtree which is like an online platform for to go work for a spend analytics company um, classifying procurement data 
And and that's literally how yeah. it started. And that was 11 years ago. Do you know, of all the people I've spoken to on the on the Behind the Data podcast, I've not had a background like that. <laughs> that's amazing, though, right? It shows you what you can do and what you can achieve. Yeah. And you can bounce back pretty much from anything. You know, I, I literally started at the bottom from scratch again and built a whole new career out of it. Which I think is brilliant. And that and that is something, um, especially for the future generation that are coming into this industry. A lot I get a lot of asked a lot of questions about what career path do I have to take? What background do I have to take? And um, all of the people that I've spoken to so far have got completely different diverse backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, um, and have fallen into the space and are very successful. So thank you very much. That's 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 insightful. Um Andrew, what about yourself? So a little bit by accident as well, actually. So I, so I've been in the fields of data science and data analytics uh, for fifteen or sixteen years now, actually. So I, I, I am originally from New Zealand, which is why there's a bit of a an odd accent there, a bit of a, a cross between British and, and Kiwi there. Uh, but I, I studied uh, in New Zealand. I studied a, a degree in marketing and a degree in psychology. So so no sort of STEM based qualifications per se. Um, and I actually stumbled into the field. Um, I was playing cricket with a group of uh, people that I knew, one of which turned out to be the manager of a marketing analytics team. I was just graduating. I had a conversation with him while we were sitting watching the cricket about, uh, you know, how I was about to graduate. I was doing marketing. I also liked things like math, even though I, I hadn't studied them specifically. And he said, I have, a, I have an opening in my team for a marketing analyst. Do you want to maybe apply? Because it sounds like something that, you know, you, you might enjoy. So I said, yeah, all right. I, I don't have anything else going on. So I, I, I applied, ended up getting the job. And before that, I didn't even know you could code for a job. I, I honestly didn't know that was a thing. But I learned SAS. I learned SQL. And then I started to get uh, familiar with things like machine learning. So the first time seeing a churn model for a, for the telecommunications company I was working with where they would say these are the people that are most likely to leave the company next month and then the next month they would say well let's look at the results and it was like they were predicting the future and I was like oh my goodness this is incredible <laughs> and I've just continued to sort of uh, to grow and to learn and it comes from no nothing else other than such a deep set passion for these very nerdy things that we all love um and I've just, I've, uh, you know, I moved over to the UK and I did a lot of consulting. I ended up working for Amazon, Sony PlayStation. I did consulting. I got to build and prototype a lot of machine learning features that are now on the PlayStation 5 and were patented by Sony. And I, I took a, a decision in 2020, just as we were heading into lockdowns, to, uh, to go out on my own and do something, which is something I'd wanted to do for a while, and create a data science infinity which, like you said, is a data science learning program uh, specifically aimed to help people pivot their careers into, into data science. And what you were saying just a second ago is so true. It, it's becoming more and more and more apparent as, as data science and data analytics and just the data profession in general matures more and more and more that it doesn't really matter what your background is. You can successfully move into the field. And I, I truly believe that the sort of the next generation of data scientists, data analysts are going to be people who who are pivoting over from other areas because with things like ChatGPT, the technical bar is actually being lowered and therefore the key skills that differentiate people are 
you know, how can you how can you make things intuitive? How can you make things understandable? How can you get things done? And those are skills that a lot of other people have. And if you bring them over to data science and you can learn to code really easily, whatever, you can actually get ahead of the pack. And it's it's a really interesting moment in time, I think, for sort of the careers of people moving into data science. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much, Andrew. And I, I, I definitely want to revisit a couple of things that you just said there, because I'll be speaking myself at Big Data London next week and actually, you know, talking about what our future fit skills. Actually, a lot of it lends itself to all of the softer skills that we need to be thinking about when we build future teams, not so much the technology that they'll be learning, but it's about how they apply that in the workplace um, based on the fact that we'll be supported by much more technological advancement than we've ever seen in the past. And so I think we need to jump on board with that. But um, yeah, thank you very much. That, that We'll definitely revisit that conversation, I'm sure. Um, and Jordan, what about yourself? Yeah, well, may, maybe I'm the guy who kind of had a more traditional path. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I went to university for a, a bit in maths, ended up in economics, got a master's uh, in business administration. But the love of math and data has been in me probably since I've been a kid. Right. I, I love mathematics. I love it from that standpoint. I do need to point out, though, Andrew, I didn't know you were from New Zealand. I'm a diehard Springbok fan. You're an all black fan, I'm sure. You and I should should watch a game next week when we're out at Big Data London. But anyway, totally different thing. I'm excited <laughs> the World Cup is going on. And yes, I'm a diehard rugby fan in America. I coach, I played. Anyway, oh, wow. um, from the, the data side of things, for me, you know, I, I, I was more in the traditional role early on, but then I had my nerdy idea, which goes along with what everybody is saying. And that was what turned out to be data literacy. And my first ideas around that came about probably all the way back now in 2015 or 2016. I never would have imagined where it's taken me, right? Right now, to go to Singapore, I'm in Big Data London next week, I'm in conversations to go to South Africa, I'm in Ireland at the beginning of October. Um, and hopefully my Irish friends are not upset that I'm a Springbok fan since our teams are in the same pool. But anyway, um, like for me, this, this conversation we're having already. So my, my background is a love of mathematics. I love statistics, I love data. And, and I was lucky enough to have an idea that turned out to be data literacy and to help pioneer and invent that space. But everything we're mentioning about every single person has a seat at that table is 100% true. If you read my work, my, my first book, Be Data Literate, one of the most poignant examples of misthinking on it was I ran into someone, I'm a trail runner, and as I ran into someone on the trail, her comment was something to the effect, I'm probably too stupid to read this, which means she was missing the point. It's that everybody has a seat at the table already. Yeah. Can we just now advance those skills? And to Andrew's point and everybody's point, with the advent of generative AI and what that is doing to lower the technical barrier mm. and all of that data literacy just became even more important because it's no longer do I have to code and do those things. It's now do I have the ability to interact with what the technology is giving to me so I can make decisions, et cetera. So this future of skills, your, your talk next week, all those things, I hope people go watch it, even if it's at my time, um, because this understanding of what does the future look like with data and analytical skills changed last year when GPT yes. hit the market. And so now Absolutely. it becomes this, how do we become more empowered in our own data literacy skills, because everybody has them, right? I'm checking the weather for next week. I'm I'm in the Western US, I'm in the Rocky Mountains. So I've got to check the weather to figure out 
how to get there and all that. And, and that's data literacy. I'm making a decision based off the data. So it's very interesting and watching the trends and where this is going to go. But this this is my world. I've got a nickname Chief Nerd Officer. That one I'm good with. The other one I'm not so sure I'm good with, which is the godfather of data literacy. That one I waver on because it's a little weird. Um, but I'm super I, I love to to Andrew's point. My passion for nerdy things is is huge. And so any chance I get to help and build it is is good by me. I also call you the CDO book writer because you've written like a million <laughs> books. Yeah, I think I failed to mention you're a big author there, didn't I, Jordan? Um, it's it, it's well, good to hear that you agree, uh, though. Oh, it's un, unequivocal. If people don't understand that they have a spot at the table, that they need to develop better skills in these things, they legitimately could be bypassed. And I know that's more the, the negative side of it, but that's not how I look at it is instead, can we train you with those right skills so you're not bypassed? So Absolutely. that you are a part of the evolution that is occurring. I don't care what your age is. And we talk about the younger generation. I've got five kids, right? To them, like life with technology is symbiotic. That's just yeah. what they are. And so can we then develop more analytical skills, more decision making with data skills, and then combine it with the soft skills? When I train a data scientist or mentor them, a lot of times I train them on the technical let's now speak about communication do you have project management skills do you have leadership skills so that you're well-rounded for the these jobs that are needed like i've got three books out my fourth book um i'm in talks with my publisher which is actually in london um is basically business 101 for data professionals can we make you a more well-rounded data professional out in the market so it's 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 such a fun exciting space to be in and yes nerdy stuff could be exciting Jordan, uh, you're putting us all to shape. Sorry, James, I'm just uh, totally dominating the conversation here. But he also does like ultra marathon triathlon, Ironman, something crazy oh, like oh, that. Ultra marathons. In fact, if you see that and that, there's a yeah. race that I love. I'll do it again next year. It's a 50 mile ultra marathon in Utah. And you have to get, you probably can't see it on the bibs there. The finish line is 48 and a half miles out. So you have to go past it three quarters of a mile, get a sticker, put it on your bib to prove that you got to the point of turnaround and you turn around. So I, the, those bibs have stickers on them from that race. So I'll do that race again next year. I love that race. J Jordan, you're making me feel tired just listening to that. I don't know why you brought it up, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's remarkable. I mean, look, I've, I've got a list. I've actually got a list of skills, which I've been, I've been working on some discovery stuff with uh um some public sector stuff at the moment and you've mentioned a few of the skills already around adapt or adaptability analytical mindset collaboration communication creativity critical thinking curiosity storytelling project management these are the things that the future workforce has to has to get stuck into in my opinion um because i also you know i believe that, that, that the technical side is going to be there and it is low lower the bar has been lowered because of 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 what you know of what is what AI is capable of doing now for us. So um, yeah, it, it's great. And I think that groups like the Data Avengers, because you've got such big following, um, you're really, you know, you're experts in your field, you can champion and, and bang the drum for this stuff. People need to hear it because we have an education program as well. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of misconception of what people and youngsters need to do to get into our industry. And that and that is key. So it's great to be so aligned. I guess one of my next questions um would be what what were the biggest obstacles that you've kind of faced 
in the last throughout your data career in probably a, say let's say the last five years what have been the big obstacles susan let's go to you me i'm the biggest obstacle okay um i these two geniuses are love maths i hate it i can't do maths i can't count and and so i never thought of myself as a data person because also I, I learned to kind of use a data modeling tool. So it's kind of like visual coding. So I kind of learned as I needed to do things, but I, I don't code. Like, how can I be a data person? I don't have a qualification. And I, I took me a long years to kind of accept and embrace my data-ness. So um, do you, by that, by that then, are you, is that a, um... Uh, have we got a message there to say that you know you don't have to be a maths and statistics professional to be a really fantastic yes. data professional right yeah yeah i mean you know think about data when i was at uni 20 years ago data was just probably like this size right data is like this size now with so many different aspects and elements like and each part of data now requires different skills so in the analytics space, you might need more creativity and artistic um, and data storytelling ability. AI machine learning, you definitely need more mathematics coding. Um, and and so there are there's there's a, a role for everybody within data, but it's just finding what's the right one for you. So as an obstacle then, was it was it that you felt that you couldn't be great in this space because your assumption was that you needed to be statistically strong, but you found your way because you know. Yeah, like I started posting part. about data challenges that I was solving for clients and, and I only ever worked in the procurement spend data space. So I knew this very small corner of the data world. Yeah. So when data people started liking my posts and asking me for my knowledge and expertise and i'm like but i but i only know this this is my safe zone i only know this little bit here mm -hmm. what i it took me a while to realize was that actually a lot of what i do is relevant to the wider data world yeah um but that was kind of out of my comfort zone because i didn't feel like i was qualified or experienced to be able to talk in that area it's very honest yeah. of you to speak so openly. Um, of course, one of the things that I noticed when I've been in recruitment for 27 years now, one of the things I noticed when we started building talent pools of data professionals was that the common set of skills that are required across most functions uh, to which, you know, of people to help um, a business become data enabled, if you like. So, you know, there isn't just a specific skill set for one role and another role. Actually, there's a lot of shared skills and a lot of them are soft. Um, and that and that was a quite a big learning for me. Thanks, Susan. Um, what about yourself, Andrew? Biggest kind of blocker that's that or challenge that so, you faced? There's probably a couple. Uh, well, two that I'd probably talk about and they're quite different. Uh, firstly, I'm going to just tell Susan off quickly because <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, not really. I not really. Uh, but don't ever say that you can't do math, OK? Because it's not true. Anybody can do math, but the vast majority of the way it's taught is garbage. It's taught with okay. complexity for complexity's sake. If it, if somebody taught you or whoever else, you can tell that I have daughters, right? I'm, <laughs> this is the way I talk to them. There's no I can't. There's only I can't yet. And if you find the right way to learn it and you have a passion for it, then you could be brilliant at it. I 100% guarantee that. 
Um, I'm joking about telling you off. I, what I think is... You, no, it's probably, a great point, though. You've probably found your passion somewhere else, and therefore, you know, you go down that road because that gives you more energy and maybe may working strictly with numbers and math, it doesn't give you so much energy. And in that case there, 100%, it's something that you should go down hallway B rather than hallway A because that gives you passion um, or that gives you energy, sorry. But because I, but I, I talk to people all day, every day, I talk to people who want to become data scientists and it's such a common thing for people to say, I really want to do it, but I can't do math. I, I can't do it. And that's just because of the way they've been taught, I think. And it, it potentially at an early age, I found when I talked to people about it more, at an early age in school, and this is not, you know, this won't be your story. It'll be different for everybody. But at an early age in school, you find people lose their confidence in math. And therefore, they, they label themselves as somebody that can't do math and they push it away. And that defines that I'm not a math person. I'm a something else. Uh, and people carry on through their education saying, I'm not a math person, and those guys are the math people. Uh, but, but in reality, I, I firmly believe that you can learn the, whatever math it is, whether it's the math behind a, a neural network, I guarantee you could run away with it if, if you learned it in a way that was focused on intuition yeah. and understanding and application. I, anyway, I, I'm, I'm fully in jest when I say I'm telling you off. That's that, a really but. great point. Because there will be people listening to this, like me, who really do feel like it's just not not even viable. And, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it is yeah. after all. Absolutely. And you're saying it definitely is, you know, that's, you know, and you're right. Definitely I, is. from a young age, I was like, yeah, I just can't do this. Yeah. They always, you know, follow, follow what you, what I, I always think of what gives you energy and what takes your energy away. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you, you've obviously found something that gives you energy and I'm sure there are days where it doesn't, but you know, you, you do, you follow those things. That doesn't mean you have yeah. to go on math, but I'm just Actually, saying you, you absolutely could. Yeah, I say something similar, which is um, focus on the things that you're good at and get better at them rather than trying to struggle with the things that you're not as good as. Because I, I did spend a lot of time trying to struggle to, to get my head around getting my higher grade maths and and I did extra tuition and everything and I still failed it um so so yeah I then just started to focus on the things that I was better at so yeah that's a similar yeah I love your honesty um, um, I mean back to your original question sorry I veered off completely <laughs> um, so you're talking about about sort of challenges I face I mean I, the, the two I was thinking was one from more like a who am I in the data world? And that sounds a bit cheesy, but so I, I spent a couple of years working at Amazon and I ended up leaving Amazon for the reason that I didn't like who I was becoming at Amazon. Uh, and people talk about the Amazon culture and it, 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 I'm not gonna black or white post uh, paint Amazon as bad. There are so many amazing people at Amazon, but there, are, there, there was a culture where people seem to be stepping on other people to get to the top a little bit. People yeah. would find purpose in meetings of showing how smart they were by by showing you how stupid you were, uh, and I didn't like. I found myself starting to do these things, and that's when I said, "I don't really, I don't really like this." So I went and I, I found a role at PlayStation, and it was like completely opposite. It was a lot of fun, and so that was one thing was trying to figure out like what what do I want to be, not skills wise, but kind of what I, I don't want to climb the ladder. It's not that, like like we're just saying that doesn't give me any energy. 
it's the technical stuff, but I want to do it in the right way. Uh, and then another challenge I've faced, I, I guess, would be starting my own business is, is such a crazy thing to do. You'll <laughs> you'll know. Um, we all know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but for me, so I teach data science. The data science stuff. That's uh, that's the easy that's the easy stuff. I'm not saying I find it easy. I'm I I find that easy to do. It's the business stuff. It's how do I market this? How do I sell this to people? Because I I can't go out and be apologetic like oh if you want to buy it that's okay but please you know I, I you know I don't want to bother you. You have to learn how to sell and advertise and you have to learn about all these other tools that you can use and and the first year of the business was such a learning curve in in that respect. And in no way have I mastered it, but I feel more comfortable in my skin a little bit there now. I don't think any of us have mastered how to run a business because I don't think we're born being experts at running a business. Um, we just find our way, don't we? I still feel like I'm winging it every day. Well, that's great because I think that's the way that you should be every day yeah. because then you constantly strive to make it better. And, and also, <clears throat> you know, the smartest people in the world aren't the best salespeople. That, that, that is a fact. Um, and, and that... And that holds a lot of, um, I think, advancement and innovation back because people can't articulate or storytell or convince or influence anybody in, you know, what great things they might have in their mind. So um, and I think, you know, that's, a, that's a, again, another struggle that business leaders have. Um, thanks very much, Andrew. What about yourself, Jordan? Biggest kind of blocker or challenge that you faced? So for me, it, it was interesting. It was getting data literacy going. Right. The very first time I ever had an idea that you could maybe quantify as data literacy, I was working for American Express. And Andrew, what you talked about culture wise for a big US enterprise like Amazon, yeah, Amex had the same thing. Right. And but but what was very interesting was back at that time, so back in my role in 2014 or 15, when democratization of data was really taken off. The way people trained on the tool or trained about what was going on was they trained you on the tool, right? This is the tool. At least that's my perspective. It might be wrong, my experience, uh, which is myself. And so I had an idea, right? So when I was doing maths at university, it was to be a math teacher, right? And I love to teach. I love to do that. So I created a learning curriculum plan to teach the group that I supported at the time was the U.S. consumer group there at American Express. Largest portfolio of cards at the time probably still is, but professionals, right? So I'm like, all right, build out training, and it was like analytics and and things like that. So non-tool specific necessarily, if I remember right. And I took it to my executive vice president, and she just flat said, no, they're not ready for that. Just do what you're doing, and maybe in the future. Um, but one thing I want to make very clear is when you train someone on a tool, you're not training them on data. You're training them on a tool. And so the idea I don't think ever really left my mind, right? It probably got more exciting in my mind. And I give Kevin Hannigan is his name. He's still a buddy of mine. We chatted the other day, um, credit. He was at Click. He created a position. We didn't know each other. He created a position that was a product agnostic analytics trainer, basically. Um, very first phone call I ever had with him, he told me I'm the guy for the job, but they had a process to go through. A lot of people don't know this. I was close. Um, to not going to click because they dropped the ball. Now, when they dropped the ball, we didn't understand that the recruiter had been in an accident, right? And so as soon as we figured things out, it got going. But even at click, right? This is before data literacy became a big term, right? I started my program before Gartner had launched out their article 
discussing data literacy. So they didn't even realize, I don't think, that some guy's building this already. And in that process, I had to get internal people buy-in. And, and we didn't even announce to Click that I worked there. We announced <laughs> after 11 months because, wow. one, I was building a product that we eventually gave away for free. Two, I was not selling the Click product. I was selling data literacy. And so once we had our very first user conference that I was speaking at, I was signed up for five sessions. The popularity was so great. We had to repeat one for a sixth section. Gartner about two or three months before the event had launched their article. It might have been one month before the event and kind of the rest is history. But you had to get like buy in. And even after three or four years, people still weren't all the way there. Now you, it's kind of undisputed, right? I mean, the, the amount of data literacy work going on is wonderful. It takes me all over the world. But it was, and I'm going to kind of pivot this now a little bit, because Susan has said it best, Andrew has said it well, that you find your spot within this space. There's out there. I am not the most technical of people. I'm not good at coding or any of that. I've been out of that game for a very long time. I did it a little bit in my last role. But I found an area that I love, I'm passionate about, and I can excel there. And I think for me, that's what a lot of people need to find. It's a big space. You can learn many different things. If you don't like statistics, don't go for statistics, right? If you don't like data visualization, don't go for that. Find something you enjoy and then thrive in that area. You might develop some counter skills that go along with it. Um, but that was the challenge, was getting buy-in on this idea that, had American Express approved my training plan, I might not be talking to you today because I would have only been doing internal at American Express. Yeah. So I'm very grateful that person declined uh, the training I had put together on this. But guess who came calling in 2019 for help? Huh? American Express. Yeah. So I remember texting my buddy who I worked with at American Express at the time. I think he was there at the time. Be like, basically, like, guess who reached out to me? You know? Um, so that was validation that something was right, I guess, back then. But that's the challenge is I, I would say is I was in a more traditional data and analytics role and I created something new, but you didn't know what was going to happen with it. And thankfully, it, it, I got the industry thought the same thing, because if they didn't, you know, it might not be what it is today. But it's an uphill struggle, isn't it, for all of uh, anybody that's in data or a data professional or a CDO, whatever role that you're in, you know, there are a lot of people in a lot of organisations where you're trying to improve data literacy across the board. And it's for everybody. This is the thing. So everyone. how do, it's a cultural change which we're going Absolutely. through. Um, well, and, and one of the things I love to say about it is everybody, I do not like if someone says that group of people is not data literate. That's bullcrap. Everybody has data literacy in them. We use our smartphones, right? You're getting data and information every single day and processing it, whether you know it or not. What I want them to understand is how do we now empower you more with organizational and business data to help the business drive value, right? Like if you have an organization of 10,000 employees, a couple hundred to a few hundred are dedicated data professionals. It is a very large audience that is not, but we are now asking them to use data and generative AI and all of this. So can we empower you with those data literacy skills from leadership on down, smarter decisions with data? That's it. And yeah. let's make you confident and comfortable there. And if you can do that, then you start to drive that holistic organization. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I always say data problems are people problems and yes. it's people inputting data and most of the people that input data are not data people. 
their sales, marketing, finance. Um, they don't understand the consequences of what happens when they don't put it in right, how it affects their colleagues, the business. And it's I was always kind of trying to say, give them a what's in it for me kind of reason to. And also let's talk to them in non-data language as well. That's not mm. too intimidating because I think sometimes just the language alone can be intimidating for someone who, who doesn't know anything about it. Absolutely. A lot of people in the business just see you guys as a, as a team of people over there and they have no idea what they that you do. Well, they think that they don't, but they probably understand a lot more than what they, you know, would initially. Um, so, going, I mean, we talk about teams because um, and we talk about sustainable teams. Right. So I'm going to ask you like the question around. Um, I'm sure you've all hired people in the past um, and you've worked alongside other people that do as well. What? What do you think is, if we look at the talent, if we look at talent strategy, which can include things like succession planning, um, internal mobility, recruitment, obviously, you know, onboarding recruitment process, um, training, everything really, they're all parts of a talent strategy. What, what for you, uh, Susan, is the most important component of a talent strategy? For me, and I've, I've experienced this uh, recruiting in my own business, um, the most important thing for me is attitude. You can teach skills, but you can't change attitude. And, you know, I'm looking for curious people, people who might not know how to solve a problem, but will go and figure it out. And then they'll come ask for help if they don't know or come with uh, solutions to problems I didn't even know we had. And I found that in my data analyst, you know, he's he's been amazing. It just he didn't know how to to do Python when he started working for me, but he's gone off and, and learned a bit now. And and we have a better, uh, more efficient business because of that. Mm. And, and I've just been back from from Orlando um, on a procurement panel talking about um, procurement professionals of the future. And, it, and it's exactly the same kind of skills that we're talking about, curiosity, transferable skills. Yeah. None of it was to do with their technical capabilities. A lot of the discussion was even around the fact that it's not always good to have an experienced procurement professional. Sometimes you want someone from outside. To show a different lens. Yeah. Look for a different lens on you. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 what I'm hearing is that it's basically for you when you've hired people into your team, it's you're looking for the softer skills which are the hardest ones to find normally it depends on the role too so mm. um you don't want a team full of ambitious people you need a balance of people who just love what they're doing and they're happy to do that every day of the week mm. and have no desire to do anything more than that and then you need those people that want to push push the envelope and and do other things um you know the classification side that is literally it's all introverts who love spending time on their own and just a bit OCD and love like cleaning data. You know, that's who they are for the first couple of years. They wouldn't even turn their cameras on in our team meetings. You know, that's how kind of introverted they were. So um, it's, yeah, knowing what's going to work for which role, but also building a team where you can all come together mm. and, and be stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Andrew, have you got a have you got a view on the on that? 
I, I agree completely. I think I think what you've mentioned, curiosity, is a very good one. Um, that was something I placed a, a lot of emphasis on when hiring, you know, hiring and interviewing people at at Amazon and, and other companies like that. I think because for me, curiosity is, uh, and I'm going to touch on something else related to this in a second. Curiosity is something that can be quite hard to, un, you know, unpick for somebody. Like trying to find out how are you how are you curious about something, but even like asking them about way, you know, how do you keep up with the latest trends in the industry? For example, it kind of forces them to show that they're off maybe reading blogs or or they're they're watching webinars or whatever you know you can sort of start to feel that they've actually got a passion for this they're not just turning up to yeah. do the nine to five and i'm not saying you know they need to work longer or whatever but the, the, they've got this genuine passion because that's what's going to drive the sort of the growth potential that they have they're not just going to be there to to tick boxes but i guess Coming back to what I said about it, it can be hard to unpick curiosity. I think there's a bigger piece. So there's, there's a lot of things that we know are good to find from candidates. So their 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 problem solving system, for example, no no candidate's going to come in and and have done the exact same thing before. So you have to kind of you have to kind of unpick how they solve problems, how do they make decisions, and how do they justify them. So when you put something new in front of them you can feel confident that they'll be able to go and do that successfully. But a problem that people have, and kind of flipping it to the other side, a problem that we face is that we don't, some companies do, we don't train our interviewers. We don't train the senior data scientist who's going to sit in one of the interviews. So say you have several interviews, one might be with a hiring manager, one might be with HR, one might be with a senior data scientist from the team. In most companies, that senior data scientist, for example, they have no training on how to interview somebody. And that's a problem, right? Because your job as an interviewer is to go and sort of find evidence that this person fits the criteria that you you need. And often what you find is when you don't have training, people go in and they go about an interview the wrong way. They They see it as a bit of a competition. They see themselves up on a pedestal. And there's all of these things which can can ruin the interview and not let the candidate show their best. So I think there's there's a big gap at the moment and a big it's something I want to do. I want to I want to create something on this. You know, training maybe maybe specific to data science and data analytics, training interviewers to to know how to conduct an interview and to know how to find evidence that can be used to then discuss with the other interviewers and you can make the best decision. It's going to improve effectiveness and efficiency of your interviewing, which we know is a extremely cost effective, uh, sorry, a very costly and, and timely process. Well, of course, you know, from our perspective and the amount of interviews that we see running, uh, that is a massive challenge for companies um, because they do put forward people in their business to interview others from the external market who don't have experience of interviewing. Of course, the problem with that is, is that the experience of the job seeker or candidate in play, if it's poor, then we've got a problem with external brand representation. So, you know, there's a lot of other things that actually get caught up in that. And of course, if you're trying to hire talent where there's a skill shortage, you've only got to do that five or six times and all of a sudden people don't want to work for you because their experience at interview stage was incorrect and even though you might be a great organization so it's a very good thing to pick up on I think Andrew um we see it We've, we we have situations like it all the time and we have to educate those and say maybe find someone else to interview because these people didn't have a bad experience and of course again that's about feedback not many people will give you the feedback that they actually had a bad experience 
they'll only tell their friends. They don't always yeah. tell the, but the, also the representing bodies. The majority of data people are introverts. They're That's not right. naturally comfortable talking to other people. That's right. Um, and so that that doesn't help the situation. No, not at all. Jordan. Oh, I'm going to add one thing to that, Andrew, and that is we hand interviewers a piece of paper that says these are the questions you need to ask. And, and I love your idea that they need to be trained to do that. I don't care if you found some set of questions online that says these are the right interview questions to ask. If a, piece, a person doesn't know why they're asking them and doing that, I think that that's excuse me, part of the talent strategy. I love like my three C's of data literacy. We basically hit on my number one is curiosity, right? You want to be more data literate. Well, yeah, that's what I'm looking for in a candidate. Number two, creativity is something I want to look for, right? Like I think as adults, whatever it is, I've got five children. How many questions do you think I'm getting regularly, right? It's <laughs> and, and the creativity that they have and all they're doing is naturally trying to figure things out, i.e. data literacy. And then we become adults and we don't ask questions. We're not creative anymore. It's in pretty much all of us, I would say. When we were kids, it was there and we lost it. And then the third thing is I love Andrew's comment on problem solving, right? Critical thinking is my third C of data literacy. Do they have an ability to critically think on information and all that? Now, the one thing I, I can't, I don't, I don't want to keep beating this down because they've said amazing things on this. The one thing that I would add that I would put on top of this to know if I'm the hiring leader or the interviewer, what is my desired outcome? Not necessarily just from a candidate, but from the organizational perspective and for this position. And I think when we say that, it's like, well, yeah, of course we're thinking about that, but do we really, right? Like if my business is trying to capitalize on X, Y, and Z, this role is for this department. When I am interviewing, my outcome needs to be this role supporting X, Y, and Z. And I don't know how far ahead people think when they're interviewing and doing their talent search because that's got to flow all the way through versus just being blown apart by some amazing resume. An amazing resume can be amazing, could be fabricated, could be all that. But if I do not know my outcome is over here and I'm guiding the path to that outcome, my talent strategy, the people I hire, all of that, might not get us there. And I do think the other side of it is, you said something very good there, Jez, and that was, what does our brand come across as, right? As if, if our talent strategy does not share that we are a strongly desired company to work for, the interviews are amazing, this is awesome, then you might create a reputation out there that is very, very poor. And if that is the case, the top talent are not necessarily looking for you. And so I think that needs to be a part of the talent strategy is how do we want to represent ourselves out in the market? Are we a desired place to work? Like the interviews were fun. They were amazing. They weren't boring. It wasn't just a list of questions and then you're out. It's this is where I want to be because that was amazing. And I think that's something we need to think about with our talent strategies. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what you've done there as a collective is actually a great message for many businesses out there that are trying to hire people, right? There's a few very big key takeaways in um and again it's reinforced the fact that, you know, if you don't pay attention to your process and you don't get the right people who are trained to actually execute the process when you're trying to hire talent from the very, very first touch point, which is where it all starts, whether they see you online or they see you on LinkedIn or whatever it might be, um, that you really have to, you know look after that I'd like to kind of um because I'm just conscious of time 13 minutes or so left but I I like 
I'd like to now ask you guys um, about tips that you would give this next generation of talent because you know a lot of people that listen to this show they're 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 people that want to get into the industry as well as those that are already seasoned and cdos that want to listen to other like-minded um susan what tips would you give the next generation of data talent um this is not just for data talent but actually just if you're starting a business and running it too something okay. that i have found has been really helpful is putting my hand up in a situation or a meeting or an event and going I, I don't know what that means or I'm struggling and and what you find is when you're the person to speak out people will come to you afterwards and go oh my I'm so glad you asked that question or I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking that or feeling that too and it's you know I always used to uh, yeah just assume, I always assume that I'm the least smart person in the room um and I'm not I'm not embarrassed to ask what might be deemed a silly question, but mm -hmm. what you find is that you're not alone. So it's, yeah, just always, you know, it's that curiousness, but also being open and honest about, you know, what you know and what you don't know, because that can be just as powerful as, as saying, showing what you do know. I totally agree with you. Ask for help. I was yeah. told that by a senior Canon salesman, group salesman, before I started in the industry. And he said, if you're going into sales or anything, really, like you just said in anything in business, he said, help will be the help will be um, asking for help will be the thing that will see you through because people really struggle not to not to answer you, you know, and actually respond to that in a, an empathetic way. Yeah. Um, that, thank you, Susan. I think it's a yeah. very, very good core key tip. I've got there. one more thing for you as go well. On, go for it. Very quickly. Um, try things, right? You might try the first data job and that might not be right for you. And the, what, what something that I did at the very early days of this business was took on freelancer projects where I didn't make any money. I probably lost money, but I learned new skills. I learned what I liked to do, what I didn't like to do. Um, and that helped a lot. Invested in yourself, really. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. I like that. Um, Jordan, some tips. So I'll start with my three C's right from the three C's. It's curiosity, critical thinking and creativity. Hone those skills, right? Like I love what Susan's saying. Raise your freaking hand. Don't be afraid that like if I need data science help, I'm, I'm a data literacy guy, but I'm going to Andrew because that's where he is. And I know that I can trust his. If I need cleaning and all of that, I'm going to Susan. Those aren't my expertise, but I can be curious, I can be creative and I can critically think on it. And then the next one I would say, and, and this goes back to the very beginning of the conversation, is with my five kids, I tell my two kids, I pretty much walk them every day to school if I'm in town and can. And I tell them, remember, you can do amazing things. Because if I keep telling them that, hopefully what they figure out in their mind is they can. And I don't like limiting beliefs. If you're young in your career, if you're wherever you are, do not limit what you can do. And Susan, I, I we're not yelling at you, but you can do math. It's that thing, yeah, right? Actually, and it's, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. No, no it's go ahead. Being, being female, um, you know, I grew up and I came from a town in a city where you, you got married and had kids and that was your, that was your life. And I, I had a family where my grand didn't get married till she was 39 in the 50s and had a kid at 40. You know, she had a whole life before that. So for me, I never had those boundaries of, oh, I have to do this. 
Mm. Um, and my my mum and my dad never ever said, oh, like I wanted to be a pathologist at one point and they never said, oh, don't be ridiculous. They were like, OK, we'll go and have a look, research it. And then I decided I didn't want to do 10 years as a doctor first in all three sciences. <laughs> but yeah, if you start that at a young age, it's really powerful. Believe in yourself is what I'm hearing. Like I, I, absolutely, like you can do hard things. Like if someone says to me, like I don't like I, they want to be able to hit the trails in the mountains that I run and a comment that they might give me is, oh, I couldn't keep up with you. And I'm like, you're missing the point. If you want to go with me, I'm there to stick with you. And I freaking know you can get up that mountain. Might take all day, but you can do it. I don't like limiting beliefs. So youngsters or anybody, even all the way up to, it could be a chief marketing officer who feels like I'm too old or whatever, or a woman, I have a daughter. I don't ever want her to feel like she can't do things, right? She has a very powerful mom, my wife, who is extremely good at what she does. And I hope that example resonates, but I don't want society in some cases limits our thoughts or we're told you shouldn't do that or you can't do that and i'm like why the freak not it might not go well that's the other thing is we have to understand it might not go the way we hope right don't set an expectation expectations lead to frustrations what you should expect is that you will learn and grow and try your hardest and if it doesn't pan out you pivot but don't limit your beliefs and thoughts on what you're able to do that would be one of my biggest things whether you want to go into data or not you can excel at what you want. Just choose it and then be that person that wants to go for it. Fantastic. You are a motivational speaker. I'm feeling yeah. quite empowered right now, Jordan. <laughs> I Just feel like I can run that mountain. <laughs> you can. No, you actually, can. you know what? It's funny because I believe I could run that mountain more than I could do maths. That's still. <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it, right? You believe you can run the mountain. That's the main thing. You'll run the mountain and then, yep. then believe you can do the math. And then I'll do some sums, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, any tips that you'd like to add? Uh, yes, I think firstly, the, the, <laughs> the one that you both mentioned, the asking questions, so important. There's been so many times it, when I've been working for companies that I've been sitting in a meeting with the question sitting there in my mind going, should I ask it? Should I ask it? Should I ask it? No, I won't ask it. And then somebody else asks it. And oh. everybody lords praise on them for this yeah. great question. You're like, ah, that could have been me. <laughs> so definitely just 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 ask. Just ask. Because you'll find that you'll go back to your desk without the information you need to go do a good job and you, you dig yourself a hole. Um uh, the the what you guys both discussed. So I have two two young daughters. I'm I'm absolutely passionate about making sure that we normalize getting more amazing females and girls into the into the data industry that's something super super uh important to me i, I gave away a ton of scholarships last year to my, my my program for for girls and women that wanted to get into the field i'm going to do that again i'm going to dubai in uh october with women in ai to to uh to speak uh on their behalf at at, at the jitex conference so um, I love doing stuff like that. I, absolutely. My my piece of advice that I would uh, add to that would be, so obviously, obviously we're in a world of kind of AI at the moment and, and there is this huge potential with it. There is unlimited potential in what this can do, but there's also a ton of hype um, around it. But I would say, generally speaking, think about what we can do as humans that, that a machine might struggle with so so learn how to do some of these softer skills really well practice them so learn how to tell a really compelling story and it's not it's not an easy thing to learn but so jordan you've got a bit of a framework i've got a framework that i tell people and uh, that i teach people in my course as well which is the craig system 
um, which is kind of like starting out with context, you know, like, why are we doing this? What are the, what defines success here? Like, let's lay it out out front. Like, what are we even doing here? Then, then R is roles. So a kind of collaborative thinking, like what, what can I do here? And what do I, what do I need to rely on other people for? And what are other people relying on me for? Have a really, really good think about that. Um, then you've got the actions, which is kind of what most people focus on by default, that what am I going to do? I'm going to code something in Python, but but none of the sort of the other thoughts around it. So the actions is that, you know, what am I going to do? Then you've got I for impact. Really think hard about what did this mean? What were the results? What, what can we measure and how can we measure it? And then G, which is something that hardly anybody thinks about, is growth. And it's like, what what are the next steps? Or what would I do differently now? Six months later, maybe I did this project six months ago. What would I do differently now? that would improve it. And that doesn't have to be technical. It can be softer skills as well. You know, now I've I've learned more about stakeholder management and I would think differently about how I talk to that person or explain that, you know, because these are things that are important for you to progress your career, but they are even more important when it comes to uh, your next job interview. When people ask you, you know, about a project, if you can run through a narrative in that order, you're going to blow them away. You're also going to, you're going to, cross off any of those little probing questions they were going to throw at you you've basically got it covered so it's a really good framework to have but but yeah just think about find ways to learn how to tell compelling stories because i think that's going to become more and more important amazing really insightful i think like the the, the listeners are going to be blown away by this call because between I really the three enjoyed of you, this honestly, and I actually got to find out more about my fellow data well you've said so many amazing things that I just know you'll be answering a lot of questions which like you've just said some won't ask you know they, they just won't ask those questions but you're actually you know and I think you're also giving a lot of comfort uh to the next generation of talent that you know it's not um not trying to solve the Rubik's cube here when they're starting their career off. They're just, you know, they're just got to try and find their way. But there's lots of different paths that they can take, and I think that's what people need to know. Um, look, a bit more fun now. So just before we kind of tie things up, all right, and I'll let you guys go. And Susan, I know you're probably desperate to get to bed. Um, I've got to stay up now till like <laughs> at least six or seven p.m. just to kind of get a good night's sleep. I can do yeah, it. Yeah, otherwise you're going to be awake. I think I think a McDonald's is in order to keep me going. <laughs> All right. Well, in a, in a few words, then give me something each. Uh, tell me one thing that you think the audience would be surprised to learn about you. Jordan, you can go first because I saw your reaction. Oh, man. Right on. <laughs> Normally I can go with I can go with ultra marathons, but we've already talked about that. And I, an American who does rugby, that's too. I can draw. People don't know that about me. And, and I would really? say I can particularly draw cartoons. Yeah. So amazing. There, there is an artistic side of me that people do not um, know about. So, oh, I, that, let me. Here's here might be a better. With my five children, we basically have our own band. My daughter is the oldest. She plays four instruments. My oldest, and then I've got four boys. The oldest boy plays three. The next oh plays God. two, and then my younger two each play one as of now. But that'll just grow. I never thought we'd be a music family, but boy, do I love it. That's so cool. Well, you need to be sending some of your playing. Are you oh, the singer? Well, Are you the yeah. singer and the dancer, uh, Jordan? <laughs> no, I play piano. My wife is definitely more. She jokes that, like, basically, she lives her life as a musical. She sings all the time, so it's 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 great. Fantastic. That's brilliant. I love it. Thank you very much, um, Andrew. Let's go to you next. 
Uh, what have we got? Well, I, these guys know this. Well, they're going to find out. For, I mean, Susan and I have met. Jordan and I, we've never met in person, but um, people will find out next week. So I'm six foot six, and wow. uh, I'm going to be at Big Day to London with all of you guys, and I am also going to be wearing a bright orange suit. Uh, so <laughs> if you don't, if you if you get lost from your friends and you need a beacon, you just come and find me and, and text your friends and say I'm I'm at the tall orange guy. I need to put an Eden yep. Smith logo on the back of you. I've, yeah, so uh, my it's a data science infinity suit. You know, I'm I'm not above um, sort of sham marketing. You know, I don't want I don't want to spend on YouTube ads, but I'll go and buy a cheap suit and put my logo on it. it my work. my integrity, uh, you know. I'm I'm happy to do this stuff. It it will work. Thank you very much. <laughs> and Susan? Very quickly, I had my 15 minutes of fame on QVC selling bras. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. This is amazing. I, I've known you a long while now. I never knew that. Oh, did you, I've tried to post the picture on LinkedIn a couple of times, but because there's a picture of like there's a me shot like this obviously talking about bras and there's a, a model in her underwear next to me and i think it always gets kind of um restricted because there's a a lady in her underwear in the picture but yeah <laughs> well look um thank you very much that that's brilliant i've got some takeaways here anyway but um to just run through a couple of them one thing I've noticed is that the backgrounds of data professionals is so diverse. Um, and I think as a team um, that I've spoken to you guys today, like that's just more prevalent than it ever has been. Um, the view from you is that the skill requirements for the future are changing for sustainable future fit teams. And I think we talked about some of those skills. I think passion for data is definitely one of them and things like your three C's, um, Jordan, you know, curiosity, creativity and critical thinking, I think is bang on. I hear it quite a lot, but you're obviously an advocate as well. You don't need to be a maths professional to be a data professional. That's brilliant. I think there's a key there. I like I can't yet rather than I can't. I think that's great for next generation talent. Brilliant. Um, and I think the how you position yourself when you get into this industry is, is key, right? So you might try a few things before you feel comfortable and then do more of what you love. Not so much try and do more of what you don't. I think brilliant, Susan. I really like that. Um, and the talent strategy stuff, you know, I think we talked about recruitment and onboarding has to be a good experience for companies um, to ensure that their brand representation is on point and that they hire the best talent. And when they're building teams and as business owners, all of you, um, you know what it's like and so do I. So um, look, I, I can't thank you all enough for being on the show. Thanks ever so much. I hope that the listeners get some insight from this. I think everybody will. And I've really enjoyed the conversation and I can't wait to see you next week. Can't wait to see you next week. It'll be a really, really good time. And I I wish you safe travel over um, and and look forward to catching up with you soon. Brilliant. Thank you. you. You're welcome. Great to have you on. See you later. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.